This morning we're talking about the prayer of spiritual warfare. I've got to tell you that I, I get a little nervous even when I talk about this because, first of all, this is a weird church and we've got people from all different kinds of backgrounds and it's as diverse as I think a church could possibly be. And some of you come from backgrounds where you've never even heard of spiritual warfare and, and won't know, don't really know what the term even means. And other you come, others of you come from backgrounds where that's all you do is talk about spiritual warfare. How to say what I want to say in a way that will be relevant to people from both extremes, and I'm not sure I'll succeed. In fact, I found myself yesterday morning being kind of irritable and irate because I, I just couldn't uh, get the words and I couldn't think it through and it was all sorts of, it was really difficult. Finally, uh, what I got was the Lord said, Greg, uh, it's a verse we're going to read here actually, your uh, struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, and if you're going to be preaching on warfare, then, then do what you preach, and, and just confront the enemy as I lead you, and let me do the application. So if you have trouble with this this morning, blame it on God. <laughs> we're going to read a passage of scripture that is really, really, really great. Is this passage great? Yes. Okay, it's Ephesians chapter 1, and we'll start with verse 17. Listen very carefully to this. I'll be coming back to it in the middle of my, my message, I think. Paul says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Verse 18, I pray also that your, the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. That you'd wake up, that you'd see something you hadn't seen before, that you'd be enlightened in order that you may know. It's not just an abstract knowledge here. The concept is a, it's a biblical sense of knowing. Know in your heart. Know with your being. Know as a conviction of your life. The hope to which he has called you. The riches of his glorious, his glorious inheritance in the saints. What's his inheritance like? It's glorious. Where is it? It's in the saints. And, Paul just doesn't let up here. His incomparably great power. How great is this power? It's, incompar it's incomparably great. Who's it towards? For us who believe. Say amen. Amen. That power, and now Paul has to give us, you know, uh, an illustration. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. He's talking about resurrection power here, folks. Where is it? It's in the saints. Why? It's our inheritance. And seated him at his right hand, that's just a term denoting his glory, in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority. How far? Far above all rule and authority. Power and dominion. These are words that Paul uses, we'll see in a second here, to denote spiritual evil entities, demons, if, if you will. And every title that can be given, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things, say all things, all, I just like to hear it, say all things under his feet, and, oh yeah, that's right, I, I told you to say it, <laughs> say and, no, I'm kidding, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. Let me read another verse, go down a little bit, fast forward down to Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6, it's talking about the believer now, and God well, let me start at verse 4. But because of his, his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, great love and rich mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God 
raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. God raised us up. Before you became a believer, you were dead, as dead as Jesus Christ was in the tomb, spiritually speaking. But God raised you up and given you faith. And now he's seated you alongside of himself, who the glorious Father. In whom? In Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches. There's that incomparable again. The incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. This is good stuff, folks. Let me read one more. In fact, this is not a whole sermon where you just read the Bible. That's all we need to do. Chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord. Be strong. How? In the Lord. And in his mighty power. That power he talked about in chapter 1. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. But against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. These powers and dominions and rulers and authorities that, that Paul has already told us is under the foot of Christ. And where are we? We're in Christ. So where are they? They're under us as we are in Christ. We fight against enemies that we step on. Let's pray. Lord, this is such an important topic and I have so much inside of me that I want to communicate and that sometimes can frustrate me if I make it a flesh and blood I issue. I pray, God, that you would just, by the power of your spirit, that in incomparably great power, Lord, infuse these words and confront us. Lord, there are some here this morning that, that have uh, blinders on their eyes, as I myself sometimes have, in even knowing about or seeing spiritual warfare. And there are those, Lord, others who are here this morning who see nothing but that and are obsessed with it and preoccupied with it. But I pray, God, that by your incomparably great power, you do what needs to be done this morning. Use me, use the words to confront us and stir us up and to begin to take seriously the warfare that we're a part of, but to do so with an eye towards you. In your name we pray. Amen. There's three things I want to say about these passages that we dealt with this morning. The first thing is simply this. There is a spiritual struggle. There is a spiritual struggle. Paul says it. We have a struggle that is not with flesh and blood, but it's with principalities and powers and dominions of darkness. Spiritual warfare is a reality. We live in a culture that systematically goes against that. We live in a culture that teaches us, if not indoctrinates us, a, a scientific, naturalistic, humanistic, secular worldview that indoctrinates us to not take that seriously, to not see it, to not believe in it. And though we may believe in it with our minds in a theoretical way, the cultural influence in our life usually leads us to not take it seriously in such a way that we know it in our gut, know it in our heart, know it with conviction. Let me tell you a little incident that happened to me that really began to wake me up to this whole thing. Because for about, up until about four years ago, I never took this talk about spiritual warfare very seriously. It sounded like Star Wars to me. It sounded like Ghostbusters or, or Beetlejuice or some kind of other weird, flaky sort of thing. And uh, I just didn't take it too seriously. I was sitting in a dairy queen with this young lady. I was a, a pastor in a small church in rural Minnesota, and there's this young lady that I'd been counseling with for the six months of my stay in this, in this church. 
She had exhibited strange and odd behavior before whenever I talk about Jesus Christ. But I never, it never occurred to me that maybe there was something spiritual going on, that there was a stronghold that needed to be broken. My training in, in all the graduate school that I've gone to has taught me how to counsel people. It's given me a lot of psychological skills, given me some biblical know-how. And that's what I learned to see, and that's what I learned to shoot at. But this spiritual stuff, stronghold stuff, was just sort of, eh, they never talked about that in seminary. So I didn't look for it. In this Dairy Queen, I began to talk with her again. Uh, I was going to be leaving this church pretty quick, and I, I wanted to, to wrap up some things here and get her into some good counseling and make sure that she was a Christian. So I began to talk about Jesus Christ once again. And this time in the middle of this Dairy Queen on a Saturday afternoon, she began to growl. She, began, she became very agitated. She began to scrape on the table. She began to talk kind of incoherent stuff. And finally, she let out this beastly roar in the middle of a Dairy Queen down in Mankato and began to scratch on the walls or, and, and, and the windows and stuff. Things are a little out of control here. <laughs> and I'm still spewing out counseling things, you know. <laughs> you come down off the ceiling and look at your self-esteem or something. <clears throat> I hate when my patients levitate. No, it wasn't like that. But she was really out of control. She wouldn't go in the car with me. We had to call some people to come and take her away to her house. She gets to the house, and she starts systematically destroying the house. I had to go take care of something else in the meantime. I actually had to go do a funeral. It was a very weird day for me. I do the funeral and then come back to where she's at. In the meantime, she destroyed a lot of the inside of her house. She was destroying dishes. And now she was out in the backyard, and she'd locked herself inside of this barbed wire fence. And I go back there, and I'm trying to talk to her again and trying to help her in whatever way. And, and uh, she has this barbed wire in her hand, and she's been scraping herself. Her arms are all bloody, and she's still talking incoherently. We had actually made quite a bit of progress on, on, on the psychological level. <laughs> I don't need to tell you that. And it was good. The trouble was I didn't see behind it to a spiritual dimension of what I was dealing with. And it wasn't until she took the barbed wire and wrapped it twice around her neck and tried to begin to saw off her neck that it actually occurred to me that maybe, maybe this isn't all just psychological stuff. But by that point, it was too late. They had to call the people from the institution. They came and, and took her away. I dropped the ball miserably on that one. I fumbled it, but it taught me a, a, an important lesson. And I just have to surrender her to God and, like she's in God's hands now. But I operated in a way that I think a great percentage of the church operates today under the impact of naturalistic assumptions, under the impact of humanistic assumptions. We wrestle good with flesh and blood issues, but the spiritual stuff just seems kind of weird, seems kind of flaky. I even feel flaky talking about it. I still have that. People are going to think I'm weird and stupid and bizarre and all this other kind of stuff. You already do, so I've got nothing to lose. <laughs> but under the impact of, of this kind of Worldview, the church tends to see personal problems in terms of psychology and maybe in terms of physiology, and we see marriage struggles just in terms of personal conflict, and we see church struggles in terms of politics, and we see social problems in terms of a lack of education or a lack of money, and those are all true things, and those are all good things, and you need to address them. But it can't stop there. The Bible says that there is a spiritual dimension to all that is destructive and all that is evil in human experience. The Bible tells us in a lot of different ways, and it tells us systematically, and it makes it very clear that behind all the evil and destruction that we experience, there are evil destructive forces invested in our downfall. 
behind all that tears apart individuals and all that tears apart families, there are spiritual forces that are working to tear you apart and tear apart your family. And behind society, behind society's ills and the injustice and the racism and the poverty and the other social problems we confront, it's not just a, or even primarily a matter of economics or primarily a matter of know-how and education. There are spiritual strongholds involved in this. First John 5.19 tells us that Satan is the prince of this world and has the world under its control. The church is largely, it has been for the last 400 years, much weaker than it could have been. The church has largely been impotent because it's been shooting at, at the surface of problems, shooting at the symptoms of problems, and not looking behind to the spiritual level, to the thing that isn't flesh and blood, that is often causing the problems. And so we've been putting band-aids trying to help lepers. We've been trying to cure lung cancer by, with cough syrup. We've been trying to heal the blind by giving them thicker glasses, but it just doesn't work. The root of the, the, root of the problem very frequently is a spiritual thing. And you can go as far as you can go and use all your know-how in the flesh and blood level, the physical level of things, but you run up against strongholds. And even the good that you might do at a physical level often is only temporary, and you suffer setbacks because you don't address the word of the problem. When we talk about spiritual warfare, we're talking about, first of all, realizing that there's a spiritual struggle. That behind some of what you go through, some of the struggles you go through, we need to begin to walk in the Spirit to the point where we can begin to ask the question, begin to feel the leading of the Spirit. Is there a spiritual dimension to this? My marriage is having problems. Is there a spiritual dimension to this? I'm feeling a lot of anxiety or I suffer with depression or this or that. Might there be a spiritual dimension to this? Not all the time is there one, but there may be one. And the first thing in becoming a warrior for the kingdom is to be aware of the possibility of that dimension. The second point I want to make about this, these passages that we read this morning is this. It's crucial, it's vital that you know your authority and you know your position. And let me say this. Whereas the majority of people in our culture still to this time have blinders on their eyes where they just don't see the reality of spiritual struggling, spiritual warfare, there are others, Christians, who have seen the struggle who are aware of it, who have had the blinders lifted, but they do go to the opposite extreme, and they become obsessed with it. That's all they see. Everything that happens has got to have a demon behind it. Every headache has a demon behind it. Every stomachache has a demon behind it. Every flat tire has a demon behind it. And, and they become paranoid. They become fearful. They become like little scared rabbits that are perpetually surrounded by foxes. And if there's any emotion that is inappropriate, if we understand what spiritual warfare is about, ladies and gentlemen, if there's any... Any emotion that is inappropriate, it is the emotion of fear. Amen. Go back to Ephesians chapter 1. We ought to write up a little catechism about this. Ask yourself several questions. You who are fearful or you who are paranoid or you who are obsessed with the enemy. The question is this. Where are you seated? The answer is you're seated in heavenly places. Who are you sitting alongside? You're sitting alongside the glorious Father. And who are you sitting in? You're sitting in Jesus Christ. And what do you have? You have a glorious inheritance. And what does that inheritance consist of? It consists of his incomparably great power. It consists of his resurrection power. And most importantly, where are these demons that you're so afraid of? Where is the devil that is out to get you? 
Where are these spiritual forces that you are obsessed with? They are under your feet because you are in Christ and Christ stands on top of them. Amen. Believers, we have a position and we have authority to squelch the enemy. We're seated in heavenly places. We're right alongside God the Father. We're at the right hand of the Father in his glory and dominion. And we're inside of Jesus Christ. We are cloaked with the invincible spirit of Jesus Christ. And we have a glorious inheritance of incomparably great power. Incomparably great power. There's no governor and there's no ruler and there's no president who has a power that that can compare to the power that the inheritance of the saints have. There's no army. There's no host of armies. All the armies in the world combined don't compare to the power that resides in the believer because of what Jesus Christ has done for them. You've got the power of the Holy Spirit, God Almighty, residing within you. You've got the power of Jesus Christ residing within you. You've got resurrection power residing within you. The omnipotent influence of God works through you. The mighty strength of God works through you. You've got the authority of the word, the authority of Jesus Christ and all he has done on your side. That's who we are. That's where we are. That's how we're located. It's part of our inheritance as believers. And most importantly, the demonic forces are under your foot. The demonic forces, as you are in Christ Jesus because of your faith, not because of anything else, but because of your faith, you're in Christ Jesus, you're you're cloaked in Christ Jesus, you're at the right hand of the Father, you're in dominion and power, and the demons are under your feet. The analogy is not at all, when we talk about spiritual warfare, the analogy is not at all David going against Goliath with a little slingshot. That's a nice analogy for other things, but this is not the analogy. The analogy, when we talk about spiritual warfare, the analogy is rather a bunch of giants. We're the Goliath, and we're stepping on a bunch of cockroaches because they're under our feet. That's the analogy. That's the position of the believer when it comes to dealing with spiritual warfare. I know sometimes it doesn't feel like that, does it? No, sometimes, and I've been there, and I've been there recently, Sometimes it feels like you're the cockroach, and he's the Goliath. You feel like, I understand this, I understand this. I I go through it, I I know what it's about. You feel attacked, and you are attacked. You're getting shot at, and maybe you're even getting hit. You feel like you get this fear sometimes, this panicky feeling like the devil's just going to destroy everything you're about. He's going to take away your job, or he's never going to get you a job, or he's going to destroy your family, or he's going to destroy your mind or psychology, or bring you under condemnation, or have this terrible thing happen, or steal your kids. And I know the feeling. It's a terrible feeling, but what we need to do, the worst thing that can happen when we are talking about fighting the spiritual dimension behind our problems, the worst thing that can happen is for us to begin to panic and to begin to fear. Rather, the Bible says that you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. You shall know the truth. And what is the truth? What is the truth? The truth is know where you're seated. Know alongside of whom you are seated, God the Father. Know in whom you are seated. Know what you have. You've got an inheritance. Know what the inheritance consists of, and it consists of incomparably great power. And know where the demons are. They're under you. The enemy lies. He deceives. That's the one thing he can do. He's good at using smoke and mirrors. Smoke and mirrors, little magical tricks. He did it with Pharaoh. To to, to throw things off, to, to put you in a panic and put you on the run and ruin your confidence. But know that it's smoke and mirrors, whatever else you experience, however, whatever else you're, you're going through. Know that it's smoke and mirrors in terms of its spiritual dimension. Because the truth of the matter is this. He's not on top of you. The truth is that you are on top of him. The truth is that he's got a BB gun and you've got a Sherman tank and you're in the Sherman tank and the Sherman tank is Christ Jesus. That's the real situation. The truth is that the Bible says that greater is he that is in you incomparably greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That's the truth. 
The truth is that God has not given to us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. He has not given to us a spirit of fear. Know the truth. Know your authority. Know your position. Whatever else the evidence may seem to indicate, know who you are in Christ Jesus. And the final point I want to bring out about this passage is this. You've got to know your authority, but you've got to use your authority. You've got to use your authority. It doesn't do any good if you don't use it. You ever see parents sometimes? Maybe you are a parent sometimes who has a little toddler. I don't mean to compare toddlers to demons, but sometimes the analogy works. <laughs> and the toddler's driving this mother crazy. You see it in the grocery store or whatever. The toddler's just driving the mother crazy and doing all this kind of, and, and the mother's saying, why won't you stop it? Or the father's saying, why don't you stop it? Stop doing that. You're driving me crazy. You're going to make me insane. Da, da, da. And you think to yourself, who's in charge here? <laughs> For a while there, I thought the parent was the parent. You're a parent, but it doesn't do you a bit of good if you don't use your parenthood. And tell the toddler what is appropriate and inappropriate behavior in the supermarket. you got to use your authority. Let me read you a passage of scripture. I was just going to refer to it, but I want to refer you to it. You don't have to turn there, but listen to this. Here, here, here's uh, the Lord in Exodus chapter 14. A really interesting passage of scripture. The Israelites are up against the Red Sea. And the Egyptians are chasing them. And the Israelites are beginning to cry and pout and saying, oh, we should have stayed back there because, you know, at least there we were going to be alive. Now we're going to get slaughtered. We're going to get drowned. Nah, 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 bam, bam, bam. And Moses said to the people in verse 13, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring to you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. And listen to this. And the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move. <laughs> Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the water to divide the water so the Israelites can go through on dry ground. Interesting passage. Here's what I get out of it. Moses was asking God, and the Israelites were waiting upon God for something that God had already given them. Why are you standing there crying? When the rod is in your hand, we've talked about the rod three or four times in the last month or so, that rod of Moses, which was God's, God's symbol of authority, the, that rod which had so many times in the past done miracles on behalf of Moses, God gave him that and said, now go through the Red Sea. Don't sit there and cry out and ask me for things I've already want, I already have given to you. And sometimes I believe that Christians are in the same positions as Moses and the Israelites. Many times we are just altogether too timid. We are altogether too timid when it comes to doing spiritual warfare and confronting the enemy. We've got it within us. He's given it to us. We say, God, someday, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to wait on you, Lord, to, to someday take away this problem here, take away this spiritual oppression here. Lord, I'm just going to you know, wait until you can someday take away the spiritual oppression in my marriage or take away the spiritual oppression in my personal life or take away the bitterness in my heart, the, the spiritual oppression's there. We know there's spiritual oppression. You know that that is there, but you just wait and, and just hope. And, and what the Lord says is, I've given it to you. We say, God, give us your authority. God, give us your power. God, seat us in heavenly places alongside Christ Jesus. And the Lord is saying, as he said to Moses, I've already done it. Begin to move in it. Begin to, to, to step out on it. It's already yours. You've got it. You've got the rod. Raise your hand. Part the Red Sea. I've given you this inheritance, begin to use it. I've given you this billion-dollar bank account, begin to write checks on it. Don't be asking for an inheritance, it's yours, now write the check. The authority 
You've already had the Spirit. I've already given you my Spirit. I've already given you my authority. We say, God, help. give me the power to bind and to loose these strongholds in my life. The Lord's saying, turn to Matthew 16. I already told you. I've given that to you. You can bind and loose. That's your authority. There is a prayer, which is not about asking God for something, but it's about stepping out on what God has already given to you. In Matthew, in Mark chapter 9, in Mark chapter 9, this is, this is what some people call the authoritative prayer. Mark chapter 9, Jesus is confronting a young boy who is, who is oppressed by demons. And I don't want to give the impression that all demon oppression is about somebody writhing on the ground. Sometimes it is. Usually it's not. But in this case, there's a young boy who's trying to kill himself sometimes. He's writhing on the ground, throwing himself into fire, sometimes throwing himself into water. Sometimes, apparently, there is a demonic force behind suicidal tendencies. I didn't see that back five years ago. I see it now. And Jesus, the Bible says, simply commanded that spirit to leave. He commanded the spirit to leave. And his disciples come up and said, Lord, how did you do it and why couldn't we do it? Because they had tried earlier. And Jesus said, this kind only goes out by prayer. This kind only goes out by prayer. He referred, what he, he referred to what he had done in confronting the spiritual stronghold. He referred to it as prayer. Follow me on this. Note carefully how Jesus, whenever he confronted spiritual strongholds, he commanded them to leave. He took authority over them and came against them in that authority. And so it was with his disciples. So it was with the apostles. You read it in the book of Acts and you even read it in the, in the Gospels. Jesus says, I give you authority to come against spiritual powers. I give you authority to do spiritual warfare. And how did they do it? When they confronted it, they spoke to it. They commanded it to leave. And I know in Western culture, I know in our naturalistic assumptions, I know under the influence of, of our secular worldview, this sounds weird. But let it sound weird. It's biblical. He came against it in authority. And so it is with us. This morning, I, I want to just articulate this as clear as possible. The Lord has given to us, he's already given to us, this inheritance. He's already seated us in, in, in high places. He's already put inside of us his resurrection power, and he's already called us to confront demonic strongholds. He's done that. He's already given us authority to bind and to loose. And he says in John chapter 14, don't marvel at the things that I do, because greater works than these shall you do. The authority is yours. In Luke chapter 10, he says, I give you power. I give you authority to bind demonic strongholds. And in, Mark, in Matthew chapter 16, he tells us, has given us the keys to the kingdom of heaven, which are the keys to the gates of hell. Because the gates of hell cannot prevail against us. That's a done deal. It's already done. It's in the past. It's, it's yours. You don't need to ask for it. That is there. If you're a believer, it is yours. There's a time in our life, and we've been talking about this the last 10 weeks. There's a time to petition. And there is a time to call upon God and to beseech God. And there are times where you just got to wait for God. That's appropriate. And there are times when you just got to cry out to God. Though that is appropriate. But there are other times in our life when we're confronting a spiritual dimension to the issues that we're struggling with. When our struggles aren't just flesh and blood and we are aware that there's a spiritual dimension there, then there is a time to use the authority that God has already given to you and command the oppressive force to leave. And come against it. There's a time to use the keys that God's given to us. I was thinking about this yesterday and I had this, I had this picture. It's like there's this, uh, and this isn't a vision or anything. This is just how I thought about it, though I think it's right. 
the people, here's like this giant door. This door is like the fortress of hell, okay? This is the hell that you're, that the spiritual dimension that you're confronting in your marriage. Or it's a spiritual dimension that you're confronting in your personal life. Or it's a spiritual dimension that you're confronting as you're trying to share the gospel. And, and I, I get this picture of a bunch of Christians going against this fortress and we're scraping at it and we're, we're picking away at it with toothpicks and we're trying to pry open the gate and we're trying to do all these things and just to try to get it, get it, get over it. See, it's a frustrating picture. It's a frustrating picture. And, and some Christians are, are actually trying to run the other way because they're afraid of that stuff. They're just, I don't want to hear about this. This sermon spooks me this morning. And then Jesus comes along and uh, comes up to each one of us. And he says, look at, you know, you'll know in, in, this, in this gate there's a little keyhole. Here, use that one. Here's the key, and you can go in. And we go... Oh, wait, wait, but what about, what, what about the captain who's in there? What about the forces that, you know, if we go in there, they might kill us. If we're going to destroy, they'll step on us because we're cockroaches and they're Goliaths. And Jesus said, uh, yeah, why don't you read uh, Colossians 2? Uh, I've already taken care of them. They're vanquished. They're defeated. I stand on them. In fact, look at, see, right, right there. They're there. Don't worry about them. I want you to go in there and I want you to just take the spoils that that enemy has had and take the spoils out. Take what doesn't rightfully belong to them and take it back for me. I give you the authority to rush in there. The doors open. Use your keys. And sometimes we're, we sit around and we keep on saying, uh, Jesus, can I have the keys? Uh, Jesus, can I have the keys? And they're right here, you know. Here, oh, can I have the keys? Okay, here you go. They're yours. Oh, no, can I have the keys? Oh, yeah, here they are. It's, it's that one. Use that one. Can I have the keys? And Jesus is sitting there. Will you put the thing in the door and open it? He wants us to use the authority that he's given to us. It's not a flaky thing. It's not a weird thing. It's just a biblical thing. And he wants us to take back spoils from the enemy, stuff that doesn't rightfully belong to him. It belongs to the kingdom of God, and we're children of the kingdom of God, and so it belongs to us. Take it back. Take back the spoils of, of spiritually oppressed marriages, rotten marriages, and take back the spoils of spiritually oppressed, condemned hearts, and take back the spoils of wounded, spiritually oppressed people, and take back the spoils of, of unsaved, spiritually oppressed people, and take back the spoils of spirit, the spiritually oppressed dimensions of our society. They belong to God, and God wants us to begin to take them back. And there's not a weird, spooky thing about it. It's just using the authority that we have in Jesus' name because we sit in heavenly places. Alongside God the Father, at his right hand, in his power and dominion, inside of Jesus Christ, with an incomparably great, rich inheritance, with resurrection power, and it belongs to us. Let me, let me wrap it up with my little, as I've done the last two weeks, four 30-second tips. Maybe five 30-second tips. You guys, when we, when we you know, I, I, here's why the Lord gave us this. I'm not to the tips yet, okay? Here's why the Lord gave it to us. This is, this, is, this is why. When I was a kid, I was in sixth grade, there was this bully, a mean bully. I'm going to make this real short, but this guy was bad, b -b 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 bad to the bone. Really bad. Came from Totem Town, really a nasty guy. He pushed us around. He was always breaking up our fun. He was humiliating us and all this other kind of stuff. And, and especially me. He didn't like me, and I, you know, it was, I, it was making me miserable. And one day he broke up one of our baseball games, and I don't know what happened. But I exploded. I went berserk. I went nutso. I jumped on him. I pulverized him. I about killed the guy. My family almost got sued because the guy's face was all deranged. And I'm not sorry I did it. <laughs> Here's what happened. That was inside of me. You know what? After that, I walked kind of tall. 
He didn't mess with me. I, I did it. And all of a sudden, it just changed the way I thought about myself. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. And then all the other kids went, whoa. I was the big guy in town. Well, there's something about being empowered. And the reason why the Lord gives us this in the first place is that we may be empowered. That we may be able to step on the neck of the one who's been stepping on our neck for just too long. And there's something good and right and just about that. So the Lord says, you've got the keys, you've got the rod, raise the rod and use the keys. Five quick, quick tips. Number one, whereas sometimes it is God's will for us to be in bad situations, because he can use it, and sometimes God's will for us to be sick and, and, uh, and, and have handicaps. I, we talked about that last week. Not all these are demon-inspired. Demon whereas it's sometimes God's will to allow that, it is never God's will to allow the enemy to be sucking the blood out of your neck. The sickness... The handicap maybe for a time is God's will, but the destructive, evil element that is being brought in your life because of it is not God's will. Or the situation that you're a part in, maybe for the time being that's the way it has to be. There's some tough ethical decisions and it's hard to find out what God's will is. Should I leave this abusive marriage or should I stay? Those are tough questions. I don't know what God's will is, but I do know this. Whatever destruction is coming to you personally, whatever evil is coming to you personally, however this is eroding your brain and eroding your heart, whatever spiritual force is there, it is not God's will for it to be there. And so you never need to wonder, is it God's will to come against the spiritual dimension of, of, of oppressive forces? It is God's will. Just do it. We don't need to guess that. Secondly, again, I will say that the authority that we have is nothing about ourselves. It is not we who can say, you know, I command you to leave. We are in and of ourselves cockroaches. He would be over us. The enemy would be over us, stepping on us, if we had to do this on our own. All the authority, all the power, all the dynamism that we have in the Christian life comes from Jesus Christ. And so having a cocky attitude, while sometimes it's a lot of fun, is never appropriate. We should be very humble. This is a humble thing. And that's why we always pray in Jesus' name. This is why it's so important, when you, especially when you're under attack and feeling oppressive influences, to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. Never let the enemy begin to get you so obsessed that you're looking at the problem more than you're looking at the solution. I get worried about people who are talk about demons more than they talk about Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is the answer. They're under his feet. Look to your Savior. Look to the warrior, the one who fights on our behalf. Number three. Sometimes a headache is just a headache, and a stomachache is just a stomachache, and a flat tire is just a flat tire. Usually, when people begin to read demonic influences into every little twiddle thing of their life, it's out of fear. These are people who fear. And when you realize that fear is never appropriate, usually your phobia, I call it Freddy paranoia, because a lot of it's come about because of Frank Freddy's book, which is a great novel to read, but don't take it as a theological treatise. Frank Freddy's book, in the last three years, people have become very paranoid. Sometimes a headache is just a headache. The final thing is this. Spiritual warfare is never an excuse to ignore flesh and blood. It's true that our primary battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and dominions. But when you understand that, that there's a dimension of spiritual warfare involved in your marriage, don't let that be an excuse to quit working on it. Or let that as an excuse not to go get counseling. And when you're confronting the spiritual oppressive forces behind, let's say, poverty, don't look at that as a quick fix so that you don't have to now sacrifice financially to help it. We need a double-barrel shotgun, folks. 
One that shoots at the physical, the flesh and the blood. That's good. That's necessary. Do that. But also one that is aware that there's also forces behind the flesh and blood. And shoot at that as well. When we begin to walk in this, and at first it seems strange, when you take control and, and, and you sense a, a, a spiritual presence there and you come against it, it will feel weird. But, but, but take my word on this. I don't think there's anything that more invigorates the Christian, inspires the Christian, fires the Christian up, makes God real in your life than taking the authority of the believer in your life and getting involved in spiritual warfare. God's reality is, bombards us and his gifts bombard us to the degree that is necessary to do the warfare that he's called us to do. And his will is to raise up here a body of warriors, a, war, a body of believers who know what warfare is and know who they are, where they are, their position and their authority in Christ. Father, I thank you, Lord God, for the glorious inheritance that you've given to us, the incomparably great power that you've given to us. We don't feel that very frequently, Lord, but we need to. And I pray, God, that by your spirit you'd make this not just a theoretical knowledge in our heads, Lord, but a reality in our hearts, something that is a conviction. Father, give us, Lord God, the awareness that we can drive out the bitterness, the spirit of bitterness and the spirit of fear and spirit of oppression in our life. In Jesus' name, I command you to leave. Father, do your work here, Lord God, in bringing your people around seeing who you are and therefore seeing who we are, Lord. Make us warriors for your name's sake. We pray in your name.